Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Did you know, on average, heating your home makes up 82% of your energy bill? Installing a smart thermostat could save you a lot of money and be good for the planet. Honeywell Home have been making the home smarter and more comfortable for over a hundred years and their trusted smart thermostats help you get control wherever you are. And because they work with Google and Alexa, you can simply change the heating with your voice. Installing a smart thermostat doesn't have to be confusing or time consuming, so why not visit getconnected.honeywellhome.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Lent Podcast, sponsored by Honeywell Home with Residio, making the smart home simpler. Gosh, a lot's happened since the last episode. That's right, I'm talking about the bombshell that happened at the start of the week that means Google and others are currently not allowed to do business with Chinese smartphone manufacturer Huawei. I sat down with Pocket Lint editor Chris Hall to find out what it means for current customers, future customers and companies like Google and others. And amidst the continuing Huawei story, EE announced its launch plans for 5G in the UK, 30th of May, by the way. And that gave me the opportunity to catch up with Qualcomm president Cristiano Amon at the event to talk about why he and the company believes 5G is so important. And if that wasn't enough to excite, Rick, Cam and I talk games consoles, and in particular, whether now is the time to get an Xbox, PlayStation 4 or Nintendo Switch, or wait nothing so let's get on with the show so chris has joined me to talk about huawei the big story of the week can you give us a very quick overview of what's happened let's go back to where this all started which was uh, the u.s government adding huawei to the bureau of industry and security entity list and what this means is that um, u.s companies are banned from trading in technologies with Huawei. As Huawei is a technology company, this presents all sorts of problems. Now, this didn't really impact people until Google came along to say that they had been um, ordered to stop doing business with Huawei. The implication of this, obviously, is that Huawei's smartphones and tablets run using Google software, and that means that for a lot of normal everyday customers, this could have a serious impact on them. And how does that affect current Huawei customers? I've got a P30 Pro, I'm very excited by it. What does it mean for me in the future? Well, no, nobody really knows at the moment. There have been some positive messages coming out from Google and Huawei saying that if you already have a device, it will continue to be supported and you don't need to worry. But there is now a doubt as to what the future of these devices will hold. So you'll continue to get security updates, you'll continue to have access to the Play Store and all of the protections that Google normally provides. But at the moment, we really don't know what this means for the future, whether there will be any future upgrades or whether your devices are just going to be stuck in the state that they are at the moment. So that in theory means that if you bought a phone, the new flagship phone, if you bought it in the last month, when Android Q comes out in November, October, whenever it arrives you're unlikely to get that upgrade. Potentially that upgrade won't arrive. Um, and and that, could be, that could be a major blow. 
I think the other thing that's important to say is that we don't really know where this is going or the path that this story is going to take. And that, that as, as this has, it hasn't come out of nowhere, but this has happened very quickly. And you can easily see that that decision could be reversed or the US could grant a temporary license to allow Huawei consumer devices to continue as they are. Now, we've just seen other, we've seen the Honor 20 launched this week. Honor is a, a sister company to Huawei, a sub-brand, if you will. Does that affect the Honor stuff as well? Yeah, it will affect everything from Honor. Um, Honor were quite brave to go forward and launch their new smartphone. They didn't make any mention of Google at all, but at the same time, they have to launch this device for China. So they had already committed to that launch event and everything else. Even if their sales in Europe decline, they still have a huge Chinese market that they will fall back on. And so how are we going to see this play out in the future? Say that the... The provisions or the the list, this blacklisting that the the US government has put onto Huawei, does that, obviously Huawei has a number of phones probably in the pipeline to launch. We've got the Mate X, for example, that foldable phone, which hasn't come out yet. We've got the uh, presumably rumoured, expected Mate 30. Uh, Huawei Mate 30 towards normally comes out in October time, doesn't it? Their mate range. Yeah. What's going to happen to those devices? Well, there is a huge question mark over the hanging over the head of those devices. Unfortunately, again, as with Honor, they will be launching these devices in China because that's probably the single single biggest market on the planet. So they will be serving that that market too. But it does mean that the at the moment the Mate 30, we really have no idea whether they will be able to launch that as a as a fully functional. Android device with all the Google services that you know and love. And that could be a major blow for this company. And Huawei have made great moves to sort of monopolize and dominate smartphone sales globally over the past few years. And this is this is a huge shock to the system. And this is gonna this is really gonna change the face of their smartphone business. And do you think that will change in in the fact that they'll just say, we don't need Google, we'll carry on? Or do you think that that will cause some other problems? Well, they have been talking about a plan B, and this has come from the very top levels of Huawei. They say that they would prefer to work with companies like Google and Microsoft for their platforms, but they also do have a backup plan in case everything goes wrong. At the moment, the company runs its own software over the top of Android um, called EMUI or Emotion UI, and it's, com- it's entirely feasible that they could just expand that to cover the services that they then lose. But that would mean you're missing out on things like Google Assistant and Gmail and all of those apps that really define the Android experience. So, yes, they could continue, but whether they can really compete against the likes of Samsung when those things happen, that's a a question that's just going to remain. And do you think this is as damaging to Google? Because the way you're describing it and the way I'm reading stuff in the papers and and online, it, it feels to me that Google could be just as equally damaged because they've lost the number two smartphone manufacturer. Well, yeah, and this is this is a huge part of the conversation that's that's not really being discussed at the moment, is that while these companies are being banned from dealing with somebody on the blacklist, so to speak, they're, they're missing out on huge customer. And Huawei, as you said, is, is an enormous player in the smartphone market and in telecommunications in general. And any US company who does a lot of trade with Huawei may find that they just... You know, they're missing a huge quantity of sales that they had before. So Google, Qualcomm, Arm have come forward to say that they can no longer work with um, with Huawei. And that all has massive implications for, for these companies too. Do we think that Huawei has just 
is a pawn in a bigger kind of Game of Thrones-style manipulation of the China-US sort of trade agreement and, and that whole conflict going on? Do you, or do you think, you know, and therefore in a month's time it's all going to blow over and, you know, it'll be back to normal? Or do you think this is really something that could stay and cause serious damage? If this, this whole move and, and the, this, uh, this move against Huawei does fit into an, an existing storyline that's going on. And there are huge trade, t- trade tensions between the US and China at the moment. And that has affected other companies like Apple. But we've seen that similar sort of saber rattling with people like ZTE in the past. It's very difficult to know exactly what um, the end game is here. And this, this could go on, it could expand, and it could just become bigger and bigger and bigger. Or they may come to an agreement and the political solution may solve all of these consumer woes that we have right now. Still to come, we check out which games console is best for you. I see Xbox as going in a very digital future in the way that it is developing a cloud gaming system and it is it has a subscription service where you can pay a monthly fee and download as many games out of something like 200 to 300 games as you like. And we're off. After years of tantalising teases and promises, 5G is here and earlier than we thought, with EE beating Vodafone to the punch, announcing it will be offering a 5G service from the 30th of May in the UK. The company has confirmed there will be a price premium over 4G services, but it's coming out strong with a number of handsets from the likes of Samsung, Oppo and OnePlus. The common thread here, if you've been paying attention, is that all of those devices are powered by Qualcomm's new 5G modem, who have been pushing hard for the networks to embrace the benefits of 5G for some time. But what are those benefits? What's the roadmap for the future? And how will it change the way we use our phones? I caught up with Qualcomm president Cristiano Amon at the launch event in central London to find out more. Cristiano, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy uh, to be here. We're obviously at the EE 5G launch. Um, Qualcomm's a major part of that, providing the modems for the uh, for the phones that are launching, like Samsung yes. and things like that. How excited are you about the 5G launch in the UK? Very excited, very excited, uh, especially because 5G is launching everywhere. And this time around, I think the Europe and uh, the UK, especially today, is launching at the same time at the United States and, and other markets. And uh, that is all driving a a very uh, fast and accelerated transition to 5G. We have a very mature smartphone user base today. Smartphone is part of everybody's life, and people can't wait to get 5G in their hands. And do you think, do you think it's going to make a rig- big difference? I mean, a lot of people, when 4G launched, I, I was at 4G launch, I was at 3G launch, I've seen quite a few launches of this stuff. They kind of sometimes feels that for the first couple of months, it's, it's incremental, you don't really see a big difference. Do you think people, when they get their first 5G handset, from the 30th of May with EE or the 3rd of July with Vodafone, that they'll notice a difference? Okay. So, like every, with every new transition of wireless, of course, you have to have coverage. If you don't have coverage, you're going to probably be operating in the 4G, and it's going to feel like your 4G experience. But as coverage is, is being built, and if you are under the 5G coverage, you're going to see a big difference. And it's an order of magnitude uh, difference in speeds. The way 5G is designed, it's not about just having a peak data rates. It's about having very fast uh, average speeds. So what you do, like every day, you know, just looking at the applications, how you consume video, YouTube, Netflix, how you do social media, those things are going to 
be much faster. But the real value will be applications now that would be assumed that you have that speed and uh, will be designed for that speed. Some of those not being invented yet, but, you know, like we, we see the potential for this technology to be very transformative. Now, you've obviously been involved in 5G a long time as a company, and I'm sure as your position, you've seen lots of exciting implementations. What's the most exciting 5G implementation you've seen so far? So I'm going to give you two examples. I'm going to give, like, one now, and then I'm going to talk about one in the future, okay? Uh, one that I really like right now is, uh, you know, we... You know, we have this technology available uh, for us for a long time. How you think about uh, doing video conference or how video chat or like whether you WhatsApp and you want to connect with somebody. But the fact that you have very low latency and high quality video for the first time in a mobile phone, is that this actually works. You know, you will feel compelled to be able to do, you know, video chat with somebody because you have more presence and and I think it's moving towards virtual presence so I like that a lot I think that would uh, change how people communicate and it will be one step forward now along those same lines I, I'll tell you what I what I like the most and I'm trying not to get too technical but one one thing that 5g allow you to do allow you to also leave a lot of the computational in the cloud because you're connected with the cloud with a very high speed and you can build other type of devices. Not a replacement of your smartphone, but another device. And today we see a lot of AR, VR devices, but they look like big helmets. I think humans are not going to be walking around uh, the street with that. But if you make it as light as an eyeglass, and it look like an eyeglass or a sunglass, then people are going to use it. And uh, if you watch Black Mirror, you can actually have some of those capabilities. 5G were able to walk into a room instantly recognize to facial recognition who they are, go immediately into and get information to you about uh, have you met them, uh, what information they have on social, and then eventually you'll be able to have a meeting with somebody like I'm having with you right now, and there's going to be some characters going to be real, some others going to be virtual. We won't be able to make to tell the difference how the image is rendered. And I think that's showed the potential of this technology, especially for a consumer, in continue to change social interactions. Now that device and the other two, and the, those two examples are very much focused around a phone or a headset. That's obviously very appealing to someone like EE. Do you see 5G going beyond that into cars or robots or drones or, or other areas as well? Absolutely. Uh, what, one, one, one thing that is making 5G uh, so attractive and there's so much in discussion and information about it is because it's no longer exclusive to the mobile industry. It's, it's a general purpose technology that is going to change the power grid, transportation is going to change healthcare and therefore all of those other industries are being uh, touched in, in thinking about 5G as part of their digital transformation. And uh, the one that is easier to understand is actually the automotive industry, because the car is inherent mobile, and in the connected car uh, with 5G, a lot of things will change. First of all, uh, with the connected car with 5G, you change safety by having a real-time information about every other car on the road, every pedestrian, and communicating with uh, smart traffic lights, and 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 actually support actually this vision to have autonomy. Uh, for the automotive industry, but also you change how you consume services in your car 
the business model to the point that some car makers, when they look at 5G, they now believe that the service revenue on the car is going to be bigger than this profit of selling the car hardware itself. And you can eventually, you can even have cars being subsidized because of the service on the car. So a lot of new opportunities across a number of industries. Now, two of the key partners of EE at the moment that were missing really from the announcement were Huawei and Apple. That's a scenario, first of all, let's, let's talk about the Apple thing. Obviously, a lot of the negotiations have been resolved. Are you happy that that's now moving ahead? And, and do you think we'll see a 5G handset from them in the future? Absolutely. I think the, you know, we, we always thought that Apple and Qualcomm will be natural partners. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy we reestablished a relationship with Apple. We're working with them. Unfortunately, I'm not in a position to, to tell you when Apple will have, you know, 5G products for Apple to tell you. But I think from our perspective, we're working with them and hoping to get products as fast as possible. Now, with Huawei, it's a moving story. It seems to be, you know, even in the last couple of days, it's, the story's changed dramatically. Do you feel that that will be a bump in the road for 5G? They've obviously invested a lot in the infrastructure. I know that's a, a competitor to yours. You obviously have modems that would like to be working on 5G networks that are rolling out as fast as they can. How do you see the Huawei issue, let's call it, affecting Qualcomm? Okay, so I probably have the same information you have. Uh, this stuff is... Uh, uh, you know, a developing story, and it's happening very fast. A relationship with Huawei is, uh, they're both a competitor, but also a customer. And like uh, all the companies in the United States, we've been complying uh, with the order and trying to understand how this evolves. Unfortunately, I don't have much more information to provide to you at this time. Now, Donald Trump, a couple of months ago, talked about the 5G. He wanted 5G to, to he wanted the U.S. to win at 5G. That's one of his quotes. He also talked about 6G. How, obviously, on the launch of 5G, how, how far away is 6G? Do we think that's something we should even be thinking about? Look, uh, so let me, let me address this because there are two questions in, in, in that question. First one, you know, all of these comments, uh, and in general you have seen from the United States and other nations about the importance of winning 5G, is because 5G is a little different uh, than the other transition of wireless. As I said before, it's like the power grid. It's like uh, highways and ports. It's critical infrastructure that will connect everything to the Internet and I think will have such an impact on the competitive of the, of the industries in the economy that becomes, you know, a national priority for many countries. That's no difference in the United States. Um, I am hoping that after 5G, we have 6G because uh, that's what we do for a living. Usually a generation of wireless is, has been designed to last for about 10 years. And one interesting thing that the United States did uh, which I thought was uh, it was was uh, surprising, but very positive development. We're using millimeter waves uh, for 5G. You know, the wireless industry needs more and more spectrum, and uh, the United States already made available even frequencies above millimeter wave for research purposes. And I think research on a new technology usually take many, many years, in some cases five, six, seven years. So I am not surprised that. Uh, Research on 6G will start, you know, probably soon. This week, we're talking all things gaming, and specifically gaming consoles. And I've been joined by Rick Henderson, Senior Editor of News and Features, and Cam Bunton, Contributing Editor at Pocket Lint, to talk us through 
or mainly Rick's going to be talking us through what we need to look for if you're about to buy a games console. Now, that might be for you. It might be for your child who's suddenly saying, ah, oh, I've worked out that the crusty old console that we've got from when you were young, mum and dad, is, uh, is no longer suitable for the games I want to play. So, Rick, let's start at the beginning. You're about to buy a console. What, what kind of things do you need to look at first? There are three major types of video games console out there um, of the brands that you probably most have heard of. There's the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch. There are different consoles within those different uh, brands in the fact that there's some that are, are relevant for full HD programming, some uh, gaming, some that are relevant for uh, 4K gaming. But essentially, those are the... Three that you have to look at. Um, the most compelling of those three at the moment is possibly the Nintendo Switch because it's the only one of the three that actually does two separate purposes. Most games consoles sit under your TV and you play games on them on your television. With the Nintendo Switch, it's, it does have a dock where you can do that, but it also is a handheld console, so you can take it travelling with you, you can play your games anywhere you like on its own 720p screen. No, I don't think I've actually... Ever well, I certainly not for the last year. Played on my Switch on the TV. I just don't, don't think that happens. I mean, it is a very rare occasion. I think the only time that people tend to do that is when they're playing family party games because it's very good at family party games. It's also the only console that really has embra still embraces motion gaming. So you can shake the little Joy-Cons that come with it to actually perform actions on screen. So when you've got your family around, you've got kids around, they love playing those games that you can actually use the controller as some kind of physical accessory. So is there a difference? So like we've got, you said, we've got Switch, we've got PlayStation, we've got Xbox. If I'm a certain type of gamer, say if I'm a racing gamer, is there a better console that I should go for? Or if I'm into my, you know, swashbuckling or whatever the cool kids... Swashbuckling. The cool swashbuckling kids pirate games. Kids. <laughs> I want the swashbuckling, please. The Prince's Bride is there, in is there a better? I mean, we know that Nintendo is great for kind of those whimsical kind of not childish, but games that are aimed at kids, you know, Mario Kart, Super Mario, all those kind of things. Is there a difference between the other two? The other two are very similar in the type of games that you can get for them. The two companies do have their occasional exclusives, but mainly you can get the same game on all of the consoles. For example, the big games at the moment for the kids are Fortnite, not a pirate game, <laughs> <laughs> and, and games like that. And you can play that across all different consoles. But the Xbox One and the PS4, for example, they're very similar in the way they run. And they're very similar in the quality of graphics and the quality of the games. Most developers make exactly the same game for both consoles. The big difference is, I would say, is the media capabilities of the consoles, not the gaming capabilities. PlayStation is very much a games machine. So you don't find as many media options. I.e., you can't play, you can get Netflix on it, but the, um, but you can't play 4K Blu-ray. Blu-rays on a PlayStation machine. You can on an Xbox One S or an Xbox One X, for example. Um, that's a really big thing. Also new to the venue, and this only came out recently, is the Xbox One S All Digital Edition, which goes against everything I've just said in the fact that it doesn't even have a disk drive. Now, the idea of that is that I see Xbox as going in a very digital future in the way that it is developing a cloud gaming system and it is it has a subscription service where you can pay a monthly fee and download as many games out of something like 200 to 300 games as you like, uh, all, but all digitally. And, of course, for that, you need really good broadband. Yeah, I was going to ask, what about if you've someone, say you've got one of the original Xboxes, you've got a stack of games still lying around. 
can you still play those on these new Yes, machines? I mean, that's the thing, is if you've got an original... Original Xbox is probably pushing it a bit too far, okay, although some, some are genuinely backwardly compatible <laughs> right, okay. on the Xbox One. But if you've got a ton of Xbox 360 games, they're all pretty much now backward compatible on Xbox One. It plays them through an emulator, but you don't even notice. You can actually just slot the disc into your drive, and away you go. It's amazing, actually, for that. And before we get sidetracked into things like Google Stadia and whether you should even bother buying a console at this moment in time, if you were the crux question, if you were to buy a console today, what would you go and buy? Nintendo Switch, without a shadow of a doubt. It's the, 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 the main reason for that is both the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One are actually coming to the end of their lifespan. Console generations tend to have a limited lifespan of between four and five years, and while they're still being developed on, while there's still new games coming out for them, they, we can see the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox 2, whatever it's called, on the horizon, whereas the Nintendo Switch is a fairly recent addition, and it's only at the beginning of its lifespan. And I can't, I can't say enough about the Nintendo Switch. It's a fantastic machine that you can, you can just take anywhere with you, and it is brilliant for that. Now, we've got E3 coming up is that annual games conference in LA there's always talk it always seems to be talk of not only new games but also a new console every year in some rumor or reality or, or what have you it is now a really bad time to be buying a console anyway regardless of whether you should go and buy the Nintendo Switch it's a tough time to recommend consoles at the moment in the respect that we do expect um, E3 in June to reveal a brand new console at least tease one because we think that Xbox are going to launch a new uh, console in 2020. So that might be, um, that might be a, a signifying factor. But however, the one thing that the caveat of that is that it's going to be hideously expensive. There's no doubt about that. It'll be anywhere upwards of £500. So, you know, you could, you could say that I don't really want to spend that kind of money. And the Xbox One S is a fantastic 4K game. Uh, X1, Xbox One X is a fantastic 4K gaming machine anyway with HDR. So if you brought a new, brand new 4K TV, that's a console that you probably will get a lot out of way before you want to buy another one. Well, that's it for this week's show. New episodes of the Pocket Podcast will arrive every Friday with more news, interviews and buying guides for you to enjoy. If you have enjoyed the episode, please let your friends and colleagues know. And please rate us on the podcast platform you're listening on. It really will help others let you know you like it too. Until next week, pip pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 